Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we rethink patience, loyalty, and virtue, and challenge conventional truths. We discuss the deep influence of Saturn on the Old Testament and subsequently society as a whole. Spoiler alert, it isn't for the positive. We take a look at the rules and the separation of the divine from the feminine. And a quote from John Lennon, God is a concept by which we measure our pain. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. <sighs> now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow Gian Tears, those of us like our spirituality with a twist, made it through that time. You did. Wonderful. Excellent, Eric. <laughs> it's only taken you several years and you're doing such a good job now. <laughs> I like, I get that like little thing that you're going to like slightly mess with me ahead of time and I'll just screw it up. Oh, I thought about it actually. <laughs> oh, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways. Uh, hey, fellow GTs, those who like are spiritually with a twist. All right. So we're back. Uh, we're talking about Jung's answer to Job. And if uh, you didn't hear the first one in this, Real quick thing is that Jung wrote this long thing where he's talking about the book of Job. We went through the story of Job, which is Satan bets God that they can torture this guy, Job, to the point where Job will reject God. And God says no uh, uh, to Satan, like, uh, Job will never reject me. And he doesn't, <laughs> but he is irritated by all of this torturing that goes on. And the big twist in Jung is he says, what happens in that moment is it's the first moment where both humanity and God have to realize that human beings are superior, morally, ethically, psychologically to the divinity. A twist. Spirituality with a twist. Definitely a twist. So Daniel and I talked about that last week and even to the point where Jung says the reason why there was a, a, a figure like Jesus, why that was such an important figure was not to like forgive people of their sins, but to forgive so that God could be forgiven <laughs> for the sins against people. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we talked about it. And by the end of the episode, uh, it's one of those things you hear these ideas and you're like, huh, what? Huh? So I bounced it off some people, you know, during the week, as we like to do with the things that we're talking about, a uh, friend of the show, Justin Key, uh, you know, Lake Forest College professor. And, uh, I got to the end of it, Daniel, and he was like, "Wah, huh? Wah?" Because <laughs> no one's heard anything like this. Mm -hmm. And then you and I talked a little bit that you were talking, telling it to people too. So we thought we'd give a little bit of people's reactions of what people said. So I guess I'll throw you the mic and figure out what people said when you told them the story. Yeah, I was talking with a, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, but who is also a cousin. But you know, friends can be cousins too. You know, so um, there's been a, a little bit of a resurgence 
in my family of the younger generation kind of being more active in the church, you know, my, my cohort, if you will, which is interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we were talking about all kinds of stuff and this came up. So I was telling him about this and this particular episode and this particular story and his eyebrows were (laughs) plastered to the apex of his skull for sure. (laughs) When I told him and I, and I said, well, what do you think about that? Uh, and he said, well, sometimes I think people be saying things just to be saying them to get a reaction out of other people. And I said, that's fair. That's fair. But he also has no idea who Carl Jung was. Yeah, I don't see Jung as doing that. He's not he doesn't need to make a name for himself by getting some extra clicks on, uh, you know, uh, YouTube or something. Nah, he doesn't. His he doesn't Patreon need, page or something. Yeah, no, nah, he doesn't yeah, need any more subscribers to his YouTube channel. <laughs> Um, he was at 70 something years old when he was writing this too. So he mm-hmm. was like, he was writing it as a, as a reflection towards the end of his life, not like to, you know, get some uh, momentum going for an early life career. Yeah. But the, the deeper, it opened up a, a deeper discussion for us actually. And I had said to him that it's sometimes less about the particular take and more about the intention of the take. And I said, for me, I believe one of the intentions of this take was to flip the narrative in order to kind of crack people's minds open on aspects of the story that were absolutely taken for granted and moved on before. And case in point, I sent a message to somebody just today who knows the Bible very well. And and I said, um, do you know the story of Job? And the answer was lost everything patience like none other uh-huh and That's i said well we're doing this ep- right. these episodes on job which really are not about i said yes that's the perspective of job from an outside perspective but that's the interpretation i guess right yeah. that's been it's been given yeah. right but that's relating to job and job only mm-hmm. because from many at least from my what, what i got out of that message that numerous aspects of these stories are only about the characters within the story, not about the overarching characters who are part of it. So not only are we not looking at the the major players, the marionettes, not just, or the puppeteers, not just the marionettes, right? Is that your, mm, the intention behind these things is to change your mind, right? That That's mainly, that's the, that's the bigger part. That's the, to me, for me, that's the biggest takeaway. And, and having this conversation with my cousin and seeing this from my, friend here i re uh, it just hit me that like i don't think people are doing that very much with some of these things that are foundational to our culture to the minds of people just in general there's so many things that are taken i'm not going to say for granted but are taken put into the equation and then just continued on as if you know they're there and that's how it is but you know yeah we're just trying to to do more of that and i love uh moments like this when that is other people are doing the same thing. So it was like, it feeds into exactly like kind of my experiments with this too. Cause I went out and tried to do what I would think of as being the G and T of this, which you get other people's opinions. You bounce it off of people. You see how people respond, right? Yeah. Uh, in an experiential and spiritual kind of a way. And so it gets into the idea of like, I think what you're talking about, what would be conventional truths from a Buddhist point of view. Yeah. Things that are so close that you just assume them. Right. And uh, certainly tantric Buddhism, which is kind of like our home base, at least part of our home base for sure, right? Yeah. Ask this question. So I asked some folks about this too, <laughs> from a different point of view. 
Uh, I know a lot of people from like the former Soviet Union mm. who were raised in a completely secular society. And even people who are Jewish, but, and that their Jewish identity meant something because that culture was so anti-Semitic. And so they would sort of identify sometimes maybe even, you know, it was a big deal to even like walk past the synagogue or something. You know, people saw you go in, you might be in trouble, you know? So, you know, because of that, you know, uh, there's, they don't, not like they don't have any connection to Jewish identity. Some of them, I don't, some people are Jewish, some people not, but, you know, I asked and, and one of the responses I got was, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that God's a psychopath. Mm. <laughs> that God's just a lunatic. And I thought, well, that's such an interesting answer. These are secular people didn't know the book of Job. You tell the book of Job and they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and on the one hand, it's a pretty natural response, you know, especially when you get to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I killed all your kids. But don't worry, I gave you new ones. Don't worry about those old ones. I gave you these new ones. And people are like, what? You know, and so it just rolled off the tongue so easy. And I thought that's an amazing statement about conventional truth, because if you're raised in a culture that has more of that religiosity knows the right answer, which is patience. That's what you're supposed to, you know, patience, loyalty, faithfulness. That's what the interpretation is supposed to be, right? So if you're raised in a culture where that's natural, well, then, uh, you know, that's, you're going to give that answer, expected answer. Even if you're a non-religious person, you'll know that's what the answer is supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't share that conventional truth, it's really easy for someone else to look at that and go, yeah, yeah, that Old Testament God's a complete lunatic psychopath, you know? And uh, that's not uh, an incorrect interpretation either. Right. So I told my son the story. And he wasn't, he hasn't been raised in this religiosity either. I was raised Catholic. You know, you were, we were raised in this, in a religious setting like this. And my son's reaction was very immediate too. He's like, oh, oh, God's a dick. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, certainly you could say that. And he was kind of like, wait a minute, he makes a bet? on this nothing just to like, then just fucks with this guy <laughs> ruins him just for like a bet. What a dick. And I was like, I know what to tell you, you know, but you know, it's a very natural reaction. It gets to this kind of thing of like, to my mind, I think it gets to the idea of like conventional truth, right? Mm -hmm. When you're outside of a belief system, it all looks pretty different. Right. Then for the folks who are more within it, who sort of already know the rules of what you're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. Now, I think even for Justin Key, friend of the show, you know, very thoughtful guy. I mean, he also knows what the answer is supposed to be. He's not a religious person. Right. But he knows what the answer is supposed to be, right? Because you're raised in the context of understanding what it's supposed to be. But um, so I just think that that's like kind of a fascinating experiment in that. When you see mm -hmm. people who are like are not in the setting, they don't know what the rules are supposed to be of this. You know, they don't know what the interpretation is supposed to be. They just have gut level reactions and, you know, there they are. And they're not in the framework of maybe the people you're talking about who are more religious or even Justin, who's not religious, but at least knows what you're supposed to, what the answer is supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, yeah, again, that's the conventional truth idea. Right. So pops up not infrequently in our little podcast, but it is one of the really important ideas, you know, right. Think of, Certainly the Tantra, Zen, Taoism, this whole idea of like, wait a minute, what are these conventional truths? And then you look at them, you know? And I uh, I, I throw it out to you because it's the other big thing that got to me. And we, we talked about this in the first episode with this too, but I think that's 
seems to be a major part of Jung's point too. I think he wants to do what you're talking about. He wants to challenge these things that go unchallenged, like what you were saying earlier, Daniel, you know? And he wants to turn things upside down. He's a Gnostic minded dude too. And then we've done podcast episodes on Gnosticism. You flip the script, you turn everything upside down. So he's flipping it upside down on people, you know, just like turning the whole, doing the magic trick, turn the glass of water over and like make the water not fall out, make the wine not fall out or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Intellectual magic. Um, But I think that's, you know, like what he's trying to do which is why I think it's a conversation worth having. Cause I'm always coming back to the idea. Like if you're not a religious person and you hear an episode like this, you might be like, this has nothing, nothing to do with me. I don't care about some God that I don't think exists. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't care like, okay, it might be kind of a clever thing theologically or whatever, but you know uh, this, you know, uh, this is a God that I don't think is uh, anything. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so why should I care about a discussion like this? But I think the thing that Jung is really driving at, even underneath all the conversation about, you know, um, theology and so on, is because these are still like the roots of the culture, right? Even for those people who aren't religious, this is still the underlying cultural framework. And he's like basically saying, okay, it's not just a question of, you know, whether or not you believe in this particular religiosity some way or another, it's I'm doing a little multitasking here because I got to pull something out for a little bit further up the road. But it's also this idea of, um, you know, because we're still living in this culture that streams out of these sources, it's still a part of everybody's life. Even if you don't think that you care about this theology or this God or this commentary or whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we agree on that too, I suppose. Right, Daniel? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is why I think no matter who you are, this is worthwhile thinking about even for the non-religious because these things are still going on and Jung is trying to hit this point, right? Yeah. And then in that sense, I think the psychoanalysis of God, you know, what he's doing here is a psychoanalysis of the culture producing that version of divinity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I could say for myself now, I don't believe in that that version of divinity anymore. I don't have an issue with other people do like your your friend and cousin and so on. Mm-hmm. I'll make our own sex existential choices around this, but I mean, it's still a relevant conversation because of that idea that there's, it's still like the deeper trends, you know, that are happening right within the psychology anthropology is like we were talking about earlier of the culture. It's still going on this way. Mm-hmm. So, and again, more you want to say about that before I push it a little bit forward. No, I think just one, one piece, N- not only is it the sort of like, influential building blocks of society but it's also the influential building blocks of the people who raised you yeah which came from the society through into your parents and the people in the community and so on yeah yeah so i just wanted to add that you know sort of ancestral and you know uh distinction oh, right oh that part too you're you not even saying yeah yeah like it goes some of these things now that may not seem so prevalent right like religious or religiosity type discussions you say like like you're like you're bringing up oh yeah what's the point of this i don't you know i don't pay attention to these things right you might not that's true you as the listener i'm not saying you eric but you as a listener might not but i'm pretty sure your parents did and they raised you and their parents did and their parents did and they raised them and they raised them and therefore all those things have come forward to influence the way that your you know our parents raised us and i'm speaking now for myself and the listener 
that like some of these things are so innate that you don't even know to question them because you never felt like the need to previously. Like they're know? in the culture everywhere. Yeah. They're just around. You they're, know? Just, they're just around. And once you start like, and it's that question of once you, I mean, because we're obviously big on the push and the questioning. Yeah. But once you start questioning, you get to the point of like, oh yeah, this stuff is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Even though I think it's gone. Like, I don't think of myself as a religious person. I don't, but people still act under these ideas. Yeah. You know, even like we were talking last time, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre's observation, like the culture now is you just took out the God, but you left everything else the same kind of, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe in a more complicated way. So, okay. That was the next big thing I wanted to throw out, which is like, this is still like Yahweh's culture. Sure. <laughs> On some, in some ways, I'm curious your reaction to this, this stuff too, Daniel. So mm-hmm. in a certain sense, these are still like Yahweh's rules. And Yahweh's rules are pretty tough rules. Yeah. Yahweh, Yahweh is not fucking around. <laughs> you can say it. And in a way, and this is really interesting, is like uh, Yahweh is like Saturn too. And I think Jung gets this, though he never explicitly says this. Mm. But Yahweh is like Saturn. I was talking with somebody close to my heart and I was saying, it was interesting in astrology. And I said, hey, I'd done this answer to the Job. And I just said, what's, astrological figure do you see the old testament divinity as and that then you know the person was just like saturn it's like completely obvious you, you know, know? And, and i was gonna... like yeah it's saturn you know and i'll explain a little bit about the saturnness of it but yeah yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because i have heard that also and not from you i heard oh, that from a friend of mine who is uh, of kabbalistic nat- uh influence you know okay yeah 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 and um and he said the same and he i I don't know how it came up, but it did. And that was what he thought as well. So, okay. So I brought a little quote because I went into one of my old astrological books just to like, kind of like think about this. Mm-hmm. I grabbed it over here. The astrolog- uh, the astrological Saturn has always been associated with the letter of the law rather than the spirit. So it's about the law, right? The mm-hmm. Gnostics and early Kabbalists identified Saturn with the old, the God of the Old Testament, who they regarded as a tyrannical father. Hmm. obsessed with the rigid enforcement of the law <laughs> and indeed there may be very a very ancient symbolic link between saturn and yahweh for yahweh's sabbath or holy day is saturday saturn's day hmm. Hmm. so i just went into like you know there's a kind of a, a very interesting book it's called you know uh, uh mythic astrology i think I got sitting over here but i won't bother holding it up to the camera but anyways, mythic astrology, and like I just went to their chapter on Saturn, and it just like the quote just popped out. And mm. I must have read the book in the past, you know. But you know, you read so many things, you take so much in that particular little snippet, mm-hmm. you know, like sits there, and I just like hit it again right away. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the thought I was having, and there it was. So, but you know, it's it's uh, okay. So your Kabbalist, uh, your Kabbalist uh, representative was thinking that way too. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, and if you don't know anything about like Saturn as a mythic figure and people may not, obviously we're doing Jung. So you're going to talk about archetypes and myths and all that stuff. Saturn is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is actually going synchronistic in my life too. Cause I actually went to a bookstore, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And I stumbled across this book in the philosophy section, which is uh, just called assholes, a theory. <laughs> mm. I got to read that book and maybe we'll do a podcast episode. On that. Assholes, yeah, hopefully it's not stinky. Uh, I think it's going to be a stinky subject matter because okay. those people are difficult. Yeah. Fair um, yeah. But um, anyways, 
Saturn's a dick for sure, per my son's comment. And um, and so, you know, one of the real famous stories is that he's like eating his own children. He castrated his own father with a sickle, the mm. sky god Uranus. And then uh, because he's afraid of his own sons then, because he was such a, a, a an asshat, um, that, uh, you know, he actually won't let any of his children live. He devours them, you know? And uh, Jupiter escapes by, like, his mom, I think, disguises like a rock as a baby. Like, puts a little bonnet on her. I know what that would even look like. <laughs> but Saturn devours the rock, thinking he devoured his child. And then it turns out that, you know, Jupiter escapes and then turns around and exacts the the vengeance back again. But, um, you know, it's a it's a demented story, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it touches something about this archetype. You know, it's a it's an oppressive archetype, you know, like they're talking mm. about the radical father caring about the letter of the law rather than the spirit. If you know any astrology and we have done a lot of astrology stuff, it'd be fun to do it. So probably future episodes. Yeah, for sure. Still have tons of, we actually haven't done anything on the Kabbalah, really. It's amazing. We've spent three years with nothing. All in the all in the docative things to talk about. But, um, you know, in astrology, Saturn's called the greater malefic. And it's the idea when Saturn gets involved in the chart or gets involved in triggering people and all that it's to the negative, right? And uh, sometimes you hear this thing about the Saturn return, if you ever heard that phrase, mm-hmm. where Saturn gets back to where you were at the time you were born. It's usually around like when you're 28 years old, and um, give or take. And yeah. it's this really unpleasant period of your life where Saturn starts like... <clears throat> putting the kibosh on you again. So it's like kind of has this reputation as being this really unpleasant thing. And in a certain sense, then it's a source of like constriction and limitation and walls and disconnection and oppression and, you know, so, so I think, I think part of the point Jung is trying to make is that like, yeah, if you look at these stories, they're coming out of this cultural stream and we're still living in the flow of that stream, like down the road from it. And a yeah, lot of yeah. it is these senses of like restriction and uh, 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 walls and disconnection and all of this kind of stuff, repression and whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he mentions it in different ways in answer to Joe, but he does talk about like, there's a famous thing in Genesis on the second day of creation where it's the one day God said isn't good. There's nothing good about the day. And it's the day where he creates division. He divides the heavens and the earth. He divides things. It's the day of separation, the day of division, the day of restriction, the day of border, boundary, wall. And it's it's Saturn. It's the, it's the not good day. Mm. <laughs> you know? So if you look through Genesis, it's one of those funny little things, but it, it's commented on all over the place. If you get into the Kabbalah and you get into other, mm. Jung is doing it too. He's obviously read the Kabbalists mm-hmm. you know? and they're like, oh yeah, that's the day that isn't good. That's the day of restriction. That's the day of like restraint. That's the day of division. It's not good. So, um, so yeah, so especially it's, yeah, force of limitation, all this other kind of stuff. And so, there's an element of the culture. I think part of what Jung is getting to ultimately is there's an element of the culture we're living in, which is Saturnian. Right. And you live lives where there's just a lot of restriction. Right. And uh, so there you go. I wanted to get your opinion on this though, in a kind of interesting way, because the other experiment I do is with my daughter. Right. 
So I thought I'd see what you what you what your impression was. So you know, my daughter is she's in Paris. She's studying at the Sorbonne for the semester, and she's having a ball, right? And one of the things she had to read that we talked about when she was reading it a little bit was Nietzsche, the German philosopher. Mm -hmm. And she's reading a lot of heady stuff, right? And I think it's an interesting time for her because she's reading a lot of heady stuff in a way that maybe she hadn't when she was younger, you know? And she's like committed. She's like doing the readings <laughs> and she's trying really hard, you know, and uh, she's learning a lot. So she read this thing called The Birth of Tragedy. And in this book, Nietzsche talks a lot about Dionysian versus Apollonian. And Dionysian is like sort of more of the free, expressive, whatever, somewhat chaotic potentially, right? That would be its bad side. But, you know, the freedom aspect of things. And then the Apollonian, which is order, but also can be like structure that's repressive and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of yin and yang. So when we were talking, I was like, yeah, this is yin and yang, right? Like these are these opposites. And Jung is fascinated by these things too. And he knows Nietzsche for sure. Yes. Right? He obviously he's read him and he knows all this stuff and he talks about it. So, so this is after, you know, these Greek gods. Right. But I was looking at my daughter and I talked with her on the phone during the week. And I was like, you know, your life is completely Dionysian because mm. <laughs> she has like no restrictions almost. I mean, she does her schoolwork, but you know, she's living in this, this time period where, you know, she's, uh, uh, she's in France. She's living in Paris. She's super happy. On the weekends, she goes to Prague. <laughs> she goes to London. She's in Florence out at some vineyard out in the country. You know, she was in Amsterdam. You know, and uh, and I was like, your life is completely Dionysian. And she's an incredibly happy human. We had this deal that we were going to sh do shrooms together. That was one of our things we were supposed to do. You know, and we had a nice person who gave us shrooms, but we didn't do them when we were supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but to be done. But, you know, she was with friends in Amsterdam, so she did these shrooms, but she did, I don't know the details of this, Daniel. It was some other, like, I guess she was saying it's something, bef I don't know, some other version of the plant or something that's more mild. You might understand this more than I do, because your understandings of these things are much better than mine. But she did something that was a more mild thing. Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, she was like with a couple of the friends who I met when I was in France and they were laying in a field and she was saying, you know, I felt all the connection to nature and it was really cool. Mm -hmm. And her friends are always saying about her, and this is a repeating thing about my daughter, where they all say, you should have like a, like something inside of you that's like, that is like, a, you know, more like your internal baggage, <laughs> mm. or, you know, your inner troubles and traumas, and you, know, you have more depth to you, you're not just what we see, there's more inside of you, we just have to like, get through to find like your inner core experiences that are more your traumas and dark sides and whatever. And, and Lena's always like, no, <laughs> those things don't exist. It's really funny. And I'm always like, yeah, they don't. There's nothing, there's nothing in there. <laughs> She's just like an incredibly happy human who is enjoying her life in a very Sagittarian, freewheeling, experiential way. Yeah. Mm. That's and so she was, she did the, she did the shrooms and they were laying there. And I think later on her friend said that, you know, they were talking and Alina was like, there's nothing else here to see. Mm. I'm on the shrooms. There's nothing else coming out. This is just me. And her friend was like, oh my God, I think you're actually, I believe you now. <laughs> you're just a happy Dionysian person. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, uh, so we were talking about it and she was laughing because it was her friend finally agreed like, okay, you know, I have to accept right. this is who you are. Yeah. Uh, 
So, you know, her life is like Dionysian. It's, it's freedom, it's travel, it's experience, you know? And I, we were talking and I said, you know, I think this is why you're approaching the life the way you are, because underneath the surface, you can kind of, you're getting that this life is going to turn Apollonian as fuck later mm. on. This life is going to turn Saturnian, not just Apollonian. It's going to go Saturn and you don't want to do it. And she was like, you know, I think there might be something to that. You know, because she like she keeps like, I'm going to keep preserving my freedom. I'm going to keep preserving my freedom. I'm going to keep preserving my autonomy. She keeps doing this over and over again. Mm. And it's all the time because I'm just a happy person. And I don't want to get to that point where the job becomes Saturnian. Right. Or the relationship becomes Saturnian. Like she doesn't want to do those things because she kind of sees it that way. You know, so she's living this Dionysian part of life. But I think people can. When they're younger, you know, I think they can kind right. of do yeah, yeah. culture in their 20s. They can live Dionysian, but then bang, all of a sudden it's the old Yahweh rules kick in. The Saturn rules kick in. I think Leans gets this, you know, my daughter, Alina, she picks up on this. We call her Beans because she came out like a little bean. So I think Beans gets this, you know, she was like a little baby, like a little bean. And, you know, we were talking about it and she's like, yeah, there probably is something to that, you know, because, you know, she's very at a distance even with her relationships with uh you know men and things you know she's a heterosexual cis girl and uh and she's very like nope i don't want to be weighed down by any of these fucking dudes no mm. don't want to be weighed by they die by them you know they're just going to like make things a drag and it's interesting because then she, she'll occasionally talk with me about this and she'll say yeah you know so and so had this big drama with this guy and it's ruining their blah, blah, blah. she's watching this on all her friends and 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 it's, she's kind of like a, she's a fascinating human, you know, I really appreciate her. And sometimes I talk to her and I'm like, you have this quality in you. I don't have that as much as you do. Mm. She's like, yeah, this is who I am. You know, I don't carry these other things, but anyways, it's partially about her, but partially also just about the culture. I think it can be Dionysian up to a point and then bang, it goes Saturn. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, the question is, is that a product of external life or a product of our choices? And when I say that, I mean, as we get older, we are taught or shown that increase in accumulation of things is part of being successful. And therefore, as my teacher Andre would say, the more you own things, the more your things own you. Mm -hmm. And I think that responsibility of owning things and things owning you, including relationships, people, right? Responsibility, yeah, yeah, yeah. financial responsibilities, pets, all this other kind of stuff. Professional and career responsibilities, right? All are, of that. Yeah. You know, rent or mortgage or whatever, you know, as a means of survival on one hand, or is it a means of, I think, on a maybe a more evolved um, expression of living as like a creative outlet for yourself, even if it's still business, but you're creatively doing that? That's inherent in those choices as well. So I think like you can certainly kick the can down the road, which is a lot of time what and what college ends up being, right? Is you try to you try and stay in that state of openness, but to your point then there sometimes can be chaos that that is in there as well. That is, you know, I guess maybe emblematic of the youth. What do they say that the youth is wasted on the young, right? Yeah. 
you know, but simultaneously that doesn't always give you the, 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 the tight vehicle through which you get to express your Shen through in this lifetime and in, in, in a certain way. But then on the other hand, if you are so tightly bound to a, a particular lane that you cannot express yourself because that's just a pinhole, you know, of, of living that it becomes repressive. And then that kind of like your, like your daughter's friend was saying, well, where's your repressed stuff? Where's the where, resentment? Where's all the other layers inside of you where you have this, you know, whatever this other psychological stuff inside. Yeah. Where, right? Where's the stuff that you're stuffing down? Where is the place of repression? Yeah. Repression? How have you, how have you been existing on the same plane that I have and not be repressed as I have, you know? And it's a question because I think people are looking to resonate with other people that feel the same way. That's why if you're from somewhere and you meet somebody from that same place, you might feel an instant kind of kinship or something. We're always looking to build bonds to connect with people to say, oh, you were there. So even though I'm having my own experience and you're having your own experience, if we experience the same thing, then maybe we have some similarities between us because we have that together. And that might not be the case, actually. You know, mm. and so I, like I said, I think there's a there's an internal uh, part of this that I think is a, is a facet of growing older and wanting to express yourself via a uh, professional means. But then there's also like as you grow older and you lose the support of the community, and when I mean community, I mean maybe maybe more family, the the money means for which you can survive in life. You lose that as you go older, and so then you have to replace that obviously with the your own financial means, and then therefore you step into that kind of Saturnian um, confines of society's druthers, if you will, because that's part because I don't know yet, and this is something I'm also working on. I don't know yet how to be in that aspect of the game and not be part of the game at the same time. But that's, I guess, maybe, you know, what we're trying to discuss here, right, is how do you be involved without being involved to that level in which you feel like you are compromising yourself to do the things that you need to do. I suppose if there wasn't any way of not living in Yahweh Saturn's world, this podcast would make no sense. Yes. I talk about it. Yeah. yeah you're just fucked. But like, I think the the reason to talk about it is you're not, you know, it has a lot to do with like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna give my own two cents on it, right? I definitely have that Taoisty vibe that like comes up all the time, which is like, yeah, this is going to go very constrictive. Mm -hmm. you know? Like there are very, very confined expectations of like, what you, we did all the thing on relationships, what the relationships are supposed to look like, what the work is supposed to look like, what the family is supposed to look like, where you're supposed to live and so on and so on and so on and mm -hmm, so on. Mm -hmm. Very, it's very defined. And I think deep down, everybody kind of knows this. People know what these rules are. I think they're very like internalized, right? I think, you know, uh, the Yahweh Saturnian rules are there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was very interesting because I had a friend whose daughter was like, well, these are the rules. You go through and you sow your wild oats and you're Dionysian and then that stops. And then, oh, then your life becomes like this. And she and she was just she was just reiterating this as like a teenager. And I you know, I talked with my friend and I was like, well, this is amazing because she obviously has internalized this code, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is the code. It's even a different code because maybe as a teenage girl, you wouldn't be able to sow your wild oats and live wild, 
Now you can be Dionysian. My daughter can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Progress, right? You know, before you couldn't do this. So no, you could not. This is better already. But, you know, I think you can sniff ahead and say, oh, I know where this story is supposed to go now because my daughter's internalized these rules too. This is my Dionysian time. And then bang, it stops. Yes. My Saturnian time. Now it's all about like the restriction and the confinement and the taking on the responsibilities and the roles and the so on and so on. Right. Which are like, actually they're Yahweh's. They're not, they're the old ones. Mm -hmm. And once you get that, then like your life is not that different probably from like my mom's. Right. You you work, you have your nuclear family and you do your thing, you know, and that's it. And that's the, that's the old rules. So I could see that tension in my daughter's life, you know, and it, it was a kind of interesting having the Nietzsche language. I mean, that's a very kind of gin and tantra thing for me. I could go like, yeah, you've read this book now. So now we can look at this and have this conversation. See Dionysian versus Apollonia in this. How does that feel to you? And you could see, I, I mean, I, you know, she's a very, it's interesting to see what, you know, what she'll think about that going forward. But she, she was kind of like, yeah, I could sense what you're talking about. And I don't want to have to be in that Saturnian place. So what do I do about it? You know? Mm-hmm. So it is true that a lot of her thought processes are like, okay, I'm going to escape to England for two years <laughs> and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And she's like, you could say it's forestalling, but it, it's actually kind of interesting. It's not exactly even a, for, it's like, it's not obvious what the forestalling is, you know, it's what she really is. It seems like she's optimizing her freedoms for the longest possible time that she, sure. can yeah. she doesn't want to be in Saturn world. <laughs> Well, and I think it's that, not a fun amusement park. I think many it's people a Saturn world after all. That's a depressing fucking ride. But I mean, yeah. I think I think many, many people try and do this. And actually, like looking at it from a slightly different viewpoint from myself, anytime that I have a patient who is a younger kind of teenage person, I always encourage them to take a gap year after high school. Mm-hmm. Because to that point, like you're going to be an adult for far longer than you're going to be anything else in your life. And when I mean adult, I mean like, you know, household owning, not maybe not home ownership, but like apartment or roommates, but like being responsible for paying your own rent and your own food and all the things. What's the harm? What's the harm in taking a little bit of extra time to develop into that being while still having the the openness and creativity and a little bit of chaos at that same time. I mean, forever, if you do it for too long, you I think you end up losing the ability to, to take on the responsibility that you need to, you become stunted. And I say that because there are many people in my life who are this way, you know, because they were, they were not reined in at all. You know, and so now it's like impossible yeah, to Apollonian do that. or something if you're going to be Nietzsche about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, on the other hand, like, why dive into it so immediate? Why dive into it so immediately? The problem I see in that, Daniel, is what the, what the, if you're going to go into Saturn's world, what is the gap you're even doing for you? I think you have to figure out a way to get the fuck out of Saturn world. I agree, but at least it gives people something. It gives them the time to have perspective to figure out what you think that means. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you provide, I think people have to be provided with the opportunity to choose something different from their experience. And if all you are doing is being stacked up from one box car, okay, you're to talking the next about like, one. yeah, yeah. If you're talking about like teenagers being raised in the States, 
a lot of times in like maybe a suburban setting or something, you're not yes. having a lot of experience of the world. You need to go out. I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I understand that encouragement a little bit better now. You need to go out and like see some other places, do some other things, have a little bit of a of an life. experience of getting out, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like like your own life, not yeah. the life that was chosen for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and you mentioned that a couple, I think you mentioned one other time, at least in the podcast, this came up. Yeah, but I get it in the context of what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and for, you know, people like this who are, you know, might be influential on the culture in some way, shape or form later, like why why not? What, I mean, literally, what is the what is the rush? I, I understand life is short, we should take, but like, that does that mean that you need to immediately go from your high school directly into uh, a four-year university where you're going to, take a bunch of shitty classes and drink a lot of beer or something like that. And you know, like, well, I mean, for Lena, she's having the ball. This has actually been quite good. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause there's a kind of a little bit of a balance in her. If I just look at her as like a little mini case study, mm. like she's in a quarter system, but she's taking a lot of times five classes cause they're free. Mm. It's just the way that's set up. You can take any number of classes you want. You just, you know, you're not paying by the class. You're just paying to be there. Right. I like that. And so she's just taking whatever she wants to take and, and she's doing more than what she has to to graduate. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing. She's not just like uh woo at the party, like, you know, like all the time, there's a certain kind of thing that she's building in herself. Sure. But, I mean, the thing that fascinates me about it, and I don't know where this is going to go for her, but like if she's sniffing out that the general tendency of the adult life is to be, Yahweh Saturnian, I she's not wrong. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. You pegged it. Diagnosis A plus. Now you have to look for the cure. Yeah. And whatever cure that means for you, you know. But like uh yeah, I I don't think she's wrong at all. And I think as far as like the the young thing, that's the importation of the old rules. Those rules are still there. Mm. Do we agree with that or do you absolutely yeah, they're still there underneath the surface. It's going mm -hmm. to be very constrictive. Those are Saturn's rules, mm -hmm. right? This is the rules of the game. It's this schedule, this order, this structure, this life, this relational life, relational life, this family life, this professional life, this, this. Boom. That's what it is, right? It's Saturnian. So anyways, yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how she, I, uh, that's her own choice of how she figures that out. That's a very conversation we've had you know this is your choice to figure it out i can't tell you how to do that for you i know how i tried to do it for me you have to like this is something you're going to figure out for your own self mm -hmm. it was interesting to see that like i think she's getting this thing it's clicking for her this is what i'm trying to figure out how to like get out of in a way right mm -hmm. interesting but anyways that's the reason this matters <laughs> <laughs> whether you're like well, i don't care about like some theology about some old testament book i never read <laughs> right about a god that some people made up that i don't believe in <laughs> that's the reason why it still matters and i think that's like Jung's underlying message of this he's trying to say like this is the culture right that you're participating in which i guess gets us to wisdom mm -hmm. the other part of this right because uh, we're going to like maybe take the book of job apart in a couple of different little episodes and the major figures first story was kind of job and yahweh big next figure to show up on the scene for us will be sophia right and um if you're cool to go on with it you ready to talk about sophia yeah, I was yeah, yeah. okay so yeah, with, what i was gonna ask you about it yeah so with jung and sophia so i have to say daniel i'm interested to see your reaction this will be like hopefully ending on another big finish <laughs> another episode with us going huh <laughs> so here's his take 
So a more shocking theology from Carl Jung. So Sophia is the goddess of wisdom, like that word Sophia means wisdom, right? And Jung's take is that part of the, his analysis of Yahweh, his psychological analysis of Yahweh is that the trouble with Yahweh is Yahweh is cut off from femininity. He's cut off from femininity in multiple ways. He's cut off from femininity because he's not given a divine female counterpart. It's cut off. So there's no goddess to go along with the god. There's no yin-yang pairing. Mm. There's no Shiva and Shakti cut off from femininity. So he has no true divine partnership. And he's also cut off from femininity inside of himself. So he's cut off from his own inner world and the the yin-yang balance inside of him internally is off then. Some part of his nature is cut off. And Jung, he tends to use this word anima or animus for mm -hmm. the internal yin-yang parts, the feminine or the masculine parts. You could overplay this, I suppose, but that's his idea, right? And so he's cut off internally as well. Uh, and that means he's cut off from Sophia, his natural partner, which means he's cut off from his own wisdom, <laughs> which means he can't have insight about himself hmm. because he's cut off from the parts of him that would be able to show the wisdom. He's psychologically repressed <laughs> and therefore can't show wisdom, which is why Jung argues he's constantly shocked, surprised and duped over and over and over again mm -hmm. when he's supposed to be omniscient <laughs> why is his omniscience not working the reason his omniscience is, is not working is because he's internally splintered and cut off from his own wisdom and cut off externally and internally so mm. in that sense he's walking around like as this psychologically fragmented being mm. right because he has these repression problems and that's then Jung's argument for why he's always getting like tricked. Mm. Why does the serpent come up and trick him like immediately? <laughs> because he should be able to see that coming, but he can't. And then he's shocked. Or in the book of Job, why is it that it's so easy for Satan just to like dupe him into this idiotic bet? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because he doesn't have his own wisdom. He doesn't need you know, uh, he doesn't need that bet. He shouldn't need it. He's supposed to be fucking omniscient. <laughs> but he, he can't see it. Why? Because he's cut off from wisdom. So in part, it's kind of an interesting word game on the word Sophia's wisdom, but it's refer referencing like that, you know, uh, that correlation between wisdom and femininity and the goddess, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not an accident then too to say, or, you know, it's an interesting point to say that, you know, even in the Buddhist tantras, Wisdom associated with the feminine energies, right? Masculine energies with bliss, feminine energies with wisdom. And he's cut off from wisdom. He's cut off from like true partnership. He can't, he doesn't have female partners to interact with. Mm -hmm. And then he's cut off internally from his own parts of his psyche that would be able to provide him the wisdom. And so since he's split, he can't see. And he's psychologically mm -hmm. blind. How's that for a thing? Mm-hmm. What do you make out of that? Yeah, that's a deep one. I mean, so you have a couple things happening there. One, you are viewing 
the God of the Old Testament as inherently masculine, right? It's a he. Which it is, it is. Right, right, right. And so, but just so with that word, you know, kind of distinct yeah, yeah. about that, you know, so you have it's to- not, It's interesting. It's not like the creative force of all, that's not, that's not the divinity that Jung is talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. They're, yeah. It's, like, it's a he. Yeah, right. they're talking about that being as yeah. a he specifically. So that's that's first. The other part that I'll get to in a second Gambling has certainly been around for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, this book, this, is, this book this says is, it's going on in the heavens. Yeah, I mean, they're just, yeah. you know, this is like before the fall, there was gambling. There was gambling, which is, you know, I mean, we like to take different takes on stories. So there, there's mine right there, you know, like yeah, yeah. gambling is an ever present. They were giving odds to the other angels. I'm wondering, <laughs> I want 20 on Job. I'm putting. Yeah, he's like, I got yeah. a minus 550 on this guy off of himself. So, you know, I'll, I'll take that action. People are gambling everywhere on this, right? There's no yeah. way, no way he makes it past the boils. I'm throwing in another 20. Yeah, so I that. guess uh, yeah. DraftKings is far more closer to divinity, you know, than than not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so you have that as a, as masculine. So that, that stands out first. But then also like... That, that is true, though. I mean, that's not a hidden thing. That's a masculine. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure. And they're always referencing as the father. I mean, it's it's blatant. Yeah. You it's, know? It's, it's not the Tao. No. It's not the Kabbalistic Ein Sof. It's not that. This is a masculine divinity. No. And the other, what I also described that kind of uh, ubiquitous creative presence to my cousin, who was you know a little bit more active in the church. Now, uh, I described it as love. I said, what if I just call that love? Can we? We can agree on that, right? That that's a universal positive presence of connection, you know? Um, so it's masculine is number one. But then the other part is that like, there is an inherent separation within him and therefore within us. And even though like you can make that observation from the fact that he was tricked, the the question that I the, the observation or slash question that I have is that when is that disunion addressed in terms of a remedy in uh, in Jung's book? Yeah, in Jung's book, or just even in like even I mean, in Jung is going to have his take. He's going to have his take on this. Okay, and you but know, then but anyways, yeah, I don't want to like just make it about Jung. You're asking a bigger question, I suppose. Yeah, like I think is Jung's it... answer would be never. That's the whole problem. Hmm. it's never it's like run through the culture this splitting you know what i mean and so then i mean i am sort of brought back to our femininity episodes that we did japanese uses the word patriarchy multiple times in the book from yeah i mean that yeah. seems to be present and then if i'm going to go one step further standing on my own logic you know which is probably not logically so sound um but whatever, no one's judging. I'm sure, be, I'm sure it'll be logically just fine. But okay. um, yeah. what about the idea that maybe this society is uh, Saturnic? Is that a word? Is yeah, I, I go with it. I like it. Turn yeah. Okay. That I this Saturnian, but Saturnic, I like it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that this that this society is Saturnian, but that maybe it wasn't always. And then that my own question for my question. Does God have a chart an or astrological in, chart? An astrological chart that's influencing because if you can look at at, at Saturn's um attributes and say, geez, that certainly looks like this character from this book. No offense to those people who, 
you know, take the Old Testament and Yahweh as, you know, absolute divinity. I'm not, I'm not in any way disparaging your viewpoints. I'm just, for the context of this conversation, using that in that way, you know, was there a time that maybe before the Old Testament, because the Old Testament newsflash ain't that old. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, it's old, but there's some older stuff. There is, there is some older stuff, which is, I, I reminded my cousin about, I said, yeah, New Testament's kind of old, but eh, not as old as the Old Testament. And guess what? That's not even that old either in comparison, yeah. you know? So like, it's not the new kid on the block. And so then if that's my, the basis of my argument, like could society, it would seem to me relatively logical that society might have been influenced by a, a different planet or maybe society had attributes that would represent a different planet's uh persona if you will which would then give us a uh a different kind of existence you know a more egalitarian or communal existence which would you know give credence to some of the episodes that we did on on femininity and how their view or at least that couple authors view on society was way 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 back when before there were quote-unquote sons like of man be, there used to be more matriarchal feminine influence in the world mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was the whole idea mm -hmm. of it um i mean as far as like the astrology of it like there's kind of a weird thing in astrology because saturn used to be the the farthermost planet you could see <clears throat> right mm. and as other planets were found in the solar system it was supposed to be the idea that that was challenging aspects of like saturnianness right so when you found uranus outside of saturn then you get revolutions right like the the french revolution or something or the american revolution they're mm. kind of cornered in the urine uranian times uranian uranian times uh you know and then you get the neptunian times as you find that you know like so i think it's interesting you can kind of talk that way you know that there can be like astrological changes that might have influences on how culture would function and think right hold on um, is pluto a planet or not anymore i know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the logical part of this kind of interesting because it was a planet right and then that's a planet of power and big business and so on so that's one of the interpretations of that right Ooh. it's corporate right it's power one of the interpretations and now that they're taking it off as a planet now we're like wrestling over what that means you know it's a big fight over are we going to let these big structures these big hierarchical oppressive structures like dominate our world or not that's mm. the, one of the big fights right and if they do pluto death <laughs> mm. destroy the planet right bring him back bring him back I'll, I'll take him yeah i know it's interesting so it's like it does create like what you're saying is like this is a concept right it's funny yeah. talking with my son because we were having these conversations and i was trying to teach him we have these little artistic conversations i tried to teach him about music Mm -hmm. And so there's a John Lennon song called God. And uh, and it goes, the first line of the song goes, God is a concept by which we measure our own pain. Mm. Says, Say it again. <laughs> God is a concept by which we measure our own pain. And I, I played it for my son because this is a very simple song with this very strong meaning to it. And you can hear how he sings it. And my son was like, oh, that's cool. And my son also thinks of God as a concept. <laughs> <laughs> meaning that he thinks it was invented by people right uh at least this god that we're talking about here and it has a history right yeah so at some point i don't know when the exact date would be when someone came up with this divinity to get an actual birth chart of the moment or something but mm -hmm. yeah it should have a moment right a time frame 
when the when the when the alignments were right to come up with this concept but like you know it is certainly true that saturn was the outermost thing saturn was the you know the the boundary of everything like in the solar system that was the last planet you could see without a telescope in the sky so totally like yeah oh god yeah yeah totally kind of like not off topic but i i finished that brad warner book and i'm going to email him so he can come on because i do like i do like him uh he has a song because apparently uh john lennon had a song named god right that's the name of the yeah. song and then you too had a song called god part two. Oh, i didn't know that okay yeah uh -huh. and then i finished that book that you got me you know about a year ago from brad warner the other side of nothing which you know i don't need to plug his book but like brad warner is a good author as you know zen influenced author and is good is worth reading his stuff uh he has a song called god part three and <laughs> i finished the book today uh-huh and at the end oh that's really funny synchronicity again look at that yeah right? he was uh i just happened to like he goes he goes okay bonus track here's my song with my band called God part three, because he said, if you two could do a part two, I think I'm better than you too. So I might as well do a part three. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. this stuff gets invented. So my son, we were talking and I was like, you know, we were talking about like, why it is in school that people like dudes who act like dicks. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's part of the culture. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like chimpanzee behavior or something, you know, mm -hmm. the one who tries to get on top of the other dude and it feels uncomfortable, right? It's like you make yourself feel better by standing on the head of the other person kind of, right? Mm -hmm. It's very typical kind of like king of the hill, grade school boy behavior, but just people can do that anywhere, really. Yeah. And then I was going like, you know, it's part of this whole thing, like in the John London song, because once you get the idea that it's a concept, you need to start going, it's a huge hierarchical concept. Yes. That's the biggest dick <laughs> using my son's language. And then underneath that, there's the king and he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. And then there's the 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 dukes and the lords and the whoever. And they right. suck. And they're standing on top of you. And then underneath that till eventually you get someone down on the bottom and everyone's smushing down on them. And it's a hierarchy. And some person invented that. That was painful for me. To, like I realized that over the course of the three years of us doing this podcast, where I had to face the truth of that. And it's like, uh, that's a painful realization that that's part of that concept. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But wait, there's more about Sophia. So I should finish it before we yeah, yeah, yeah. finish it. Yeah. Okay. So, so now because our poor Yahweh is cut off internally and externally, he does this thing. This is Jung's interpretation. So I'll end on a big finish. <laughs> what he does is instead he turns to Israel and he makes Israel his partner because he and doesn't Israel, have a partner. Israel is like the people that's mm -hmm. are talked about in the Old Testament, the people of the covenant. He turns to them and he projects his needs for a partner onto this group of people that he's now affiliated with himself with. Right. So now they're his partner. They're his feminine partner. Right. They're now put in the role of being his wife or something he's now there that's his that's his feminine surrogate partner that he's projecting his needs onto mm. and so then he treats the relationship then per jung what's happening in a lot of this old testament kind of stuff is he's then treating israel like he's a possessive husband mm. he's a jealous angry possessive divinity 
who's constantly guarding and monitoring the behavior of his spouse. Mm. And that's why he's doing it because he's cut off from the possibility of feminine, equal femininity in equal feminine partnerships. And instead he projects this thing onto Israel. And that's why he's always in these moods mm. <laughs> because he's quick to jealous rage if she doesn't do what he wants. And so he's monitoring and guarding her behavior. And then that's the psychological problem within God, this jealousy, possessiveness, these outbursts, that's why it's so easy to threaten him. That's why Satan can come and go, you know, that that Job really isn't that loyal. She isn't. She isn't, you know? Mm. And then he's like easy to like trigger. That's his thing. Mm. <laughs> Big finish again to an episode. <laughs> I like that though. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another one of these situations where, you know, we did these episodes on Jung and his personal life and all that. And like, like if you, at the time he was writing this and he's writing this as an older guy, he's in the seventies, he's already lived out his life, you know, but you can kind of see that he, the way this looks to me, it's, you could see it now, if you know about his own personal life better, like the way we were talking about, he was challenging all of these societal codes, you know? coming up with his own view of the world and he's yeah. a very challenging person and you could see like in his personal life he wanted to being sort of a polyamorous person and so he's like again he's fighting these traditional ways of defining things and then he's doing it here again he's coming back to this idea like see this is people's concepts of what love is what relationship is it's not good you know it's pathological it's possessive and it's narrow and it's uh, there's all of these rules and codes and all these things. And if the person breaks them, then you know you, people are going to be super pissed off, just like their god that they invented. He's doing that actually in this really kind of funny way. Mm -hmm. If you know about his life, it's like it reads even clearer. Yeah, it almost seems like a testament of like, okay, you know, like this is the problem in the culture all the way up to God, because it's a restrict, it's a restrictive, repressive, jealous rule-driven, insecure thing that then acts out in these kind of like jealous rages. And it's like kind of in his writings in these funny ways that like, again, I, I hope these episodes make some, for people who are interested in Jung, I hope this like adds something to their understanding of Jung. Because once you know more about his life, you see him a little bit differently. Some of the things pop out differently to your ear. Right. You know, and all of a sudden, like, because he has parts in the Memories, Dreams, Reflections where he'll say like, Jealousy is really bad. Jealousy is the opposite of love. And he like, he comes out with these things and you're like, they would slide by, you know, in a funny way. But if you kind of know more, I think about his life and what he was working towards, the way he was trying to re-envision a life to be different, where he was obviously trying to like get out of like certain kinds of like cultural understandings of how life had to be. We're talking mm. about his relationship thing now, but he's doing it all over the place, mm -hmm. right? Then all of a sudden he reads different. Then you're like, okay, I understand more why he's saying the things he says based on even the simplest understanding of the concepts of his life. He's a different person and a different writer. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that's one that like when I've listened, I was telling Justin Key, friend of the show, 
about like, you know, when you read about Jung, they don't ever talk about his life. You know, like you don't necessarily know this about him and especially about Book of Job. I was like, he did like a chat GTPP, chat, chat GTP. <laughs> Justin loves that thing. And so he was like, well, let me ask about the book of Job. And it said some stuff. And I was like, no, that's not the right interpretation because people don't really talk about him. Honestly, first of all, maybe because it's just too controversial, right? The stuff he says is too edgy. And then when you really get it, you know, and then also like, you don't know his life enough. You know, mm -hmm. so it's not, he's not like, a, it isn't integrated together in the understanding. But anyways, I mean, I hope that like on some level, like if you were interested in Jung, this is a different take. That's very different. Yeah. And it's an older guy writing this. I mean, he's like looking it back on the experience of his whole life. He's not a young dude. He's an older guy going, okay, here, let me give you a summary of some stuff that I experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. I'll share it back. I'll do it as a commentary. Right. Right. Um, it's like this book that, you know, whatever. But like, look at it. It's going to say a lot inside of it. It's going to be there. You know, mm -hmm. between the lines, you're going to see what I'm saying. Because mm -hmm. I think, again, for what we we're talking about earlier, this could just seem like, well, it's an old biblical book. It's an abstract commentary. It could be clever. But like, who cares? But I think he's talking about something that's more, at least my read on it, it's something more like driven by his own personal experiences, whether they be in his own life or his clinical life or whatever. He's trying to say something mm -hmm. about the culture, right? that he's been working with and kind of like in his own sort of probably little battles with in different ways throughout the entirety of his life. And then watching how this is also maybe true in this patient population. Yeah. I know. What do you think? It's a shocker for an end. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, it's like really different take again. Right. That does have, it has a psychological explanation behind it. It's interesting because he mm -hmm. does act like a jealous spouse. He's afraid, you know, I think, um, and we don't do this too much as we're recording, but may maybe the next episode that we do, Eric, and this would be kind of a teaser for those of us that, for those listeners who are rocking with us all the way to the end here, <clears throat> we could talk about maybe integrating that part, Uh huh. you know, and maybe we could talk about, you know, just from our own sort of experiences, you know, in meditation or via study or bo books or, you know, whatever, like how would somebody consciously integrate the, you know, the wisdom tradition within themselves? How can someone, or in a grander sense, I don't want to make it be about masculine and feminine because we've, we've done this before, but specifically the, the, the wisdom component, like mm, transcending our own ignorances intentionally via wisdom and and how that might look for somebody how would they go about it it's like putting this into into like practical application so if what if the premise of his psychological viewpoint of of yahweh is true then that would mean that like true of the culture right yeah true of the culture. the culture yeah, yeah 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 true of the culture then that means that everybody's influenced by one way or another you yeah, know yeah, yeah. either actively or 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 as a byproduct of just its resonance in the life around us, right? Yeah, well, yeah. then that would mean, at least for me, that, that for, for those who want to take a more empowered approach to their life, would consciously do something to reintegrate those pieces that are not currently, or at least that they're not consciously aware of. And so this might be a really nice opportunity for us to kind of not that we're not being ourselves, but to 
talk from this perspective of like how how we have done this or some you know tangible tips. I'm definitely being myself here. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I'm I'm saying that too much of myself here, but I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm being myself. You know what's interesting about that is probably like what jumps out to me too is like kind of like again the Buddhist tantras or whatever tantra you like because you're doing a lot on femininity. Yeah, you know, and then that raises that weird interesting archetypal question if i spend time meditating on the feminine tantric goddesses is that a way of tapping into wisdom you know because they're going to make it like so this is again this you know again there's different tantric traditions and different meditative traditions and so on but like i do it every day where i meditate in my self and female form mm -hmm. right and then like this tradition the comment is i'm meditating myself in a sophia form and then, you know, just archetypally, when you do that, does it change your, your feeling? You know what I mean? Partially about wisdom, partially about love and compassion too, right? Because sometimes yeah. they're understanding, like, if you talk about like Tara as a female figure. Yeah, let, let's not go too far. I want, I want, I want to save. Oh, you want to save it. Okay, yeah, you want to exactly. save it. Okay, but that yeah, might be yeah. something worthwhile. But that would be like, that raises that interesting archetypal question when you actually tap into that archetype through that visualization. Yeah. Does that start to change your attitude about, wisdom mm -hmm. okay i mean we could do it like so we did sophia yeah let me think about that we could probably integrate this too because one of the other things to talk about is obviously there's still jc yeah in the pipeline to talk about what he means to jung um and there's a couple of other complication things but let's we'll figure it out we'll talk during the week you know if we're closing up soon closing up shop because we got to bounce around 10 ish when our recording time <laughs> it's getting late in the evening for us for recording Mm -hmm. uh but if like that's the idea i think you know we probably could figure out ways of like giving a little shout out to young but also making sure we do the commentary and what that would mean yeah right? i mean that that's essentially what i would that's essentially what i'm talking about here yeah, is, yeah. is taking it and then doing the commentary on it as we're doing it because i think it it adds again because you brought this up from the beginning right you're like oh i'm not a religious person or i this this book doesn't have much meaning for me why does this even matter why am i listening to this and like we're doing we're we're presenting the materials but then in a in a very kind of buddhist way then they'll do commentary on the materials which yeah, 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 yeah. which makes the materials more tangible which we're totally doing as we're yeah. giving it but i think at least one of the things that people have expressed um a little bit to me over the years is the the desire to like hear how to how to implement things you know like from us from people who you know, have taken time and had, you know, been in meditation and, you know, like, you know, live this kind of life. And so not necessarily looking for like, quote unquote, advice or anything like that, but just some, some guidance on, on cause, because we're always talking about these kinds of things. You know oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Up. Yeah, I, I, no. Yeah. And just to make it, you know, to make it a little bit even more simplistic. Okay. Here's, here's how we view this. Here's how we view this. Here's how we view that, you know, and I think that that has, um, a real motivational factor for people to do what it is that we're hoping that they do, you know? I think it's like interesting about it is like sometimes you can call all of these conversations what they call analytic meditations. Yeah. Some comes along and presents you something to think about. Mm -hmm. you go, oh shit. Wait a minute. I hadn't thought about like these stories and the way Jung is talking about them. Damn. What do I think that means to me? And you contemplate a little bit. So yeah, that would be like an analytic meditation, but then you could also do like other things like visualizations, you know, and that was the, what we were talking about a little bit, at least, you know, if you get into like Buddhist Tantra, you, you see yourself in feminine form. Well, that means you're tapping into some archetypal aspect of wisdom or something, 
through That's that visualization. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, let's talk about it. Get into it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so what, what, okay. So end then, and then uh, Jung doesn't let you down. <laughs> At the end, he's going to say something where you're like, what? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I never heard that before. So Jung doesn't let you down. So he came through again. Thank you. Thank you, Uncle Carl. Way to go, Uncle Carl. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, thank you, Uncle Eric, as always, my friend. Thank uh, you. Thank, thank you. you know, um, wonderful, as, as, as always. I, I enjoy our discussions here. Um, and thank you to our audience, you know, whether you're uh number one or number 301, I don't know where we are. I don't count, you know, some people count. I don't count. I don't even like counting to be totally honest. <laughs> um, but you know, we appreciate all the love. So if you want to hit us up, feel free to leave a comment in the YouTube, uh, section, uh, like subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, if you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It definitely helps out the show. And also subscribing does help out the algorithm. So it, it is in our favor to do that, to just to get us pop up on other people's feeds. Because uh, like you, I feel like our work has benefit to other people and it would be good for them to see it. Um, and yeah, and if you want to hit us up on an email, tantra at gmail.com or feel free to you know send us a Instagram message, uh, Gin and Tantra podcast. Uh, we do, we are active. We do check those things. And so, you know, we'll get back to you. If you have some questions, comments, concerns, or just thoughts, we'd be happy to, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. We do, we do love it. It's kind of like a uh, fuel for our TNT, if you will. So anyways, uh, for Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch y'all on the next one. Good luck with everything. Peace. Get together. I want you to get together.